0: Good evening, everybody. Let's begin on time, an on-time arrival, on-time departure. I'm Wes, one of the rabbis here at Temple Emanuel. First of all, I want to welcome everybody uh, who's here tonight, and I want to thank you all for coming uh, to this fabulous panel discussion. I want to thank our wonderful panelists who have come from Israel. I want to thank Donnie Siegel and Arit Avineri, and Ronnie Yeager coming from Israel to be with us tonight. I want to thank our friend and teacher and neighbor, Sharon Konenisfeld for moderating the discussion, and uh, mostly want to also just thank Shalom Hartman Institute of North America and also Hartman in Israel. It's the best thing going. It's the highlight of my year of year to study at Hartman, and we're so grateful that not only do we go to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem comes to us. Welcome, and thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Rabbi Garden swartz It's wonderful to be here. Um, It really is an honor for me to be sitting uh, up here and be part of conversation uh, with these three whose work I have been admiring from afar for a very long time and who will be speaking tonight about questions uh, that are very close to my heart and I think close to a lot of our hearts. Uh, the focus of this evening's conversation is uh, uh, All of Israel are responsible for each other. Um, Israel-Diaspora relations. And uh, I think it's fair to say we'll be getting to a lot of... Uh, a lot of questions that are on our minds about the relationship between Israeli and diaspora Jews. Uh, We will not shy away from any of them. You can make sure that if we don't get to them in the first part of the evening, uh, in the second part where we'll be taking your questions, uh, that we get to them. But from my perspective, I think at the heart of all the questions uh, is really the question of what we mean bichlal when we talk about Am Yisrael, when we talk about the Jewish people, Uh, what we mean when we say we are responsible to and for each other, and uh, perhaps most personally I think about this question in terms of who are we to each other? really how do we think about that who are we to each other uh... so it really is a, a privilege and an honor for us to have you here uh... here tonight reflecting on some of those questions uh... i'll be saying a little bit more in a couple of minutes about each of our panelists and then asking them to introduce themselves personally um, they are all i will say that they're all students in the um uh, in the Beit Midrash of Hartman for Israeli rabbis and uh, as, uh, as the f- outgoing dean of the rabbinical school at Hebrew College and the incoming president of Hebrew College uh, I want to say just on an institutional level that we feel a very strong sense of kinship uh, with the work that you're doing with your program Um, both because of a lot of personal connections and also because of really a shared vision of uh, pluralistic rabbinic education, Uh, although of course ours is so deeply rooted in the American Jewish experience and yours is so deeply rooted in the Israeli Jewish experience, and I think that will emerge uh, over the course of the evening. Uh, we wanted to spend just a couple of minutes before we move into uh, our, the conversation with our panelists, we wanted to actually open up space for just a little bit of conversation among you, uh, between each other. By, little mi- by a little bit, I mean um, about three to four minutes, <laughs> uh, but you will, if you look on your benches, you'll find a half a sheet of paper with a couple of questions on the sheet of paper, and uh, I wanna just invite you to take a couple of minutes to turn to your neighbor, uh, turn to someone sitting next to you, and talk to each other about these, uh, these couple of questions. What does homeland mean to you? In what ways do you feel at home in the U.S. as a Jew? In what ways do you feel at home in Israel? Okay, so uh, you have them in front of you. I'll just repeat them one more time. You could easily spend, I know, three hours talking about these questions. We're going to just ask you to kind of crack them open a little bit uh, and talk to each other for a couple of minutes. What does homeland mean to you? In what okay. ways do you feel at home in the US as a Jew and in what ways do you feel at home in Israel? So take a couple of minutes and then we'll we'll begin.
2: Yeah, this is fine. <laughs> Okay, a The I All right, I'll try to. I, this sounds so. Maybe I'll check.
3: والغدوه تاع مادونا اسامي
2: ليودلي اسيفشغ لي هوريد اتمرشال
1: How do you, do you wanna?
2: Do we look ridiculous?
1: (laughs) They can't tell. No, no. I mean, we.
2: No? You
1: look like pilots, you know, we're about to. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is um I hate to interrupt. This is uh, this is the wonderful hum of a Beit Midrash, really. So, I'm grateful to you uh for just uh, beginning to open up this space that we're in this evening, really, as a Beit Midrash, as a place of questioning and seeking together. Um, let me ask, I got a word that, that there was a little, some, some people were having trouble with the sound. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I'm getting thumbs up. Okay. Better, okay, good. Somebody give me a wave, Uh, give any of us a wave if you're having trouble hearing, okay? Um, So let me uh, just say a word about our panelists. You have fuller bios in programs. Uh, I in no way want to give any of them short shrift, but I also don't want to take the time to uh... to read through the full bios and we'll get to just in a minute here a little bit more from them personally about their backgrounds uh... but let me just say a word on this far end um, is Danny Siegel who's a a rabbi of a mixed secular religious community in Israel which already you know you should be waking up if you were not already awake, Uh, we'll hear more about what that means A leader in the field of rabbinic family and couples counseling, a founder of Ein Prat, uh, which is a secular religious, joint secular religious pre and post army program. Uh, In the middle is Orit Avneri, who's a Bible scholar, a teacher of Bible um, in both high school and has been a teacher of Bible in, in Shalem College. Um, the author of a book about Ruth and Esther, and uh, dean of students at Shalem College, uh, and a leader in the orthodox feminist movement, okay? Another couple of words that should be (laughs) waking people up. I mean, really, it's it's wonderful even just listening to some of the language and how thick it is with some of the um, amazing contradictions and new openings and possibilities that we're going to be hearing about and exploring this evening. Uh, and to my immediate left is Rani Yeager, uh, the leader of Beit Filah which is an uh, innovative Israeli-Jewish prayer community in Tel Aviv. He's a scholar of Zionism and Israeli culture. Um, a member of the Be'iri project, which you'll also be hearing more about, uh, which creates Jewish content for the secular school system in Israel. So I'd like to begin um, by asking each of them to just say a little bit more about themselves, and specifically, if you could each say a little bit about how your own personal background Um, frames, influences shapes uh, your perspective on our topic for this evening the topic of Israel-Diaspora relations
3: So, good evening and thank you for welcoming us to this beautiful Bet Knesset and to all of you for you know spending your evening with us it's not trivial Um, well, I grew up in Tel Aviv, which, as you know, is the other Jewish state. Um, and, and I'm coming to the question of, or to the subject of an Israeli-diaspora relationship. I, I would mention two angles. Um, the first is that I actually knew many American Jews. One of them is sitting here, Professor Barry Mesh, who is a very long, for years, friend of my parents who were in the 70s somewhere in florida in gainesville florida with the crocodiles there um so it was of i knew of you i mean in general you okay it was n- it wasn't something that was foreign to me that there were jews living in the states and visiting here but i've i didn't i feel that like many israelis from my circle i didn't have even the spectacles you know the 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 machines, the, the conceptual machines, to get what, to get what's going on here. I was about 30 when I was leading a program called Gvanim that was then founded, founded, funded by the San Francisco Jewish Federation to promote Jewish pluralism in Israel. Um, and I was leading it, but I actually was a student in it. I, I, and one, of, one part of the program was that we traveled through the States. And we pilgrimage, not to Disneyland and the Statue of Liberty, but to the place that you exercise your Judaism, in San Francisco, in New York, and elsewhere. And I remember myself in, in certain particular places, uh, like in the school in the Bay Area, or particularly in BJ, uh, Upper West Side Manhattan, standing there in tears in Kabbalah Shabbat. Now, it wasn't because I've never heard the uh, before. I was a synagogue-goer with my father. It wasn't something that was foreign to me, but there was something there Broadway 88. many of you know this congregation, that deeply influenced me, and it also deeply, deeply influenced many of the people in the group of us, of Israelis. We even felt a little bit insulted, insulted in our Israeli narcissistic, narcissistic way that how come you have it and we don't? Um, and coming out to Broadway and 88th Street, we decided And that's how it lasted. I have to say thank you because actually Bet started here. We wouldn't have gone into this crazy startup of creating a synagogue in Tel Aviv. Why would a, a rational person do that? Um, there are so many restaurants. Why would people? No, seriously, that's part of the question. There is an an overall Hebrew culture in the best sense of it: theater, music, food, and 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 all the rest. High tech. Why why do we need a synagogue? But obviously. One of the things that I've gained here is at this stage of my life, at that stage of my life, is there is some spiritual revival here or some spiritual attempts that are deeply meaningful for me, personally, for us Israelis. Sabras, as you call us. <laughs> uh, nice from the, uh, from the inside and a little bit rough on the outside. I hope not too much. In any case... Um, and and I would say the success of Betfila Israeli, and many of you, some of you here we spoke about it, that have been to our Kabbalah Chabad at the sea and, and the shores of Tel Aviv, you see there are a thousand people there every Friday. You see that it this kind of of exercising Judaism in this way, which was in many ways produced here, but then also Rabbi Robbie L- Matalon of BJ told us, I'll help you in any way I can. Just promise me not to co-paste us to Tel Aviv. Develop your own language. And that's also very important. But in any case, it does nourish us. So that's the positive part of coming through the uh, American Jewish experience and being deeply influenced by it. The other side of it is that this summer, with the Kotel crisis and everything that had happened, which was another tide of that crisis that we have every few years, the Giurah and there and we we can, there is a chain of crisis. I saw how much it's not my congregants, congregants in Israeli don't get you. They are the closest to you. You know, liberal Israelis who found their synagogue, 99% of them never went to synagogue before, but now they have a, a community that they belong to and they even pray, some of them even pay dues. Um, And and I saw that they, from their heads, they were angry. But from their kishkes, they were not. They didn't get what you're so upset about. And it bothered me because if these are... are my people kind of seriously the group that is that belongs the hundred of people that belong to to Betfila Israeli? That you, I, I would say many of you that like our services feel at home because it's there's so many similarities. If they don't get you, what should I do as, as a person who's leading that community? What, what's my duty? So that's that's where I would stop right now. Thank
2: you,
1: yeah, and I want to come back to that you know, sort of mutual not getting, but
2: we'll hear from everybody first, yeah. Good evening, and thank you. It's beautiful here. Good to to see, to to be here. Uh, So I'll tell you a little bit about myself, but first of all, I want to ask you to be patient, because I'm very Israeli. So I will talk, and you'll think to yourself what did she say what was ex- exact word and try to imagine okay <laughs> and and you can you can decide what i uh, what i just said and it's okay uh, so i was born in alonchvut it's in Gush Etzion, near jerusalem and i live there there still with my own family And I was growing up there, and every morning I saw from my window a landscape of uh, the places which I read about them in the Bible, in the Tanakh, that Abraham walked there, and Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And I felt very connected to Israel, very, very connected to Israel and to the culture and to the Hebrew. I spoke only Hebrew, I heard songs only in Hebrew, uh, I was dreaming in Hebrew, of course, and the only American I knew, and I knew Americans, was, uh, were families who came to Gush Etzion and made Aliyah, right? That's the only option, to do to make Aliyah. So what I was thinking to myself is that Israel is the center of the world, and it's the most important thing to, to do is to live in Israel. And that's the only option to be Jew, to come to Israel, because this is our homeland. Um, and the years passed, of course. We, we cannot stay children for all our life. Young for all our life. Okay, we became old. Uh, and I started to write my Ph.D., I wrote it on Ruth and the Esther in the Bible, and I came to Hartman. Hartman had a program to women who wrote PhD, and I came. And from summer to summer, I started to teach the programs who came to Hartman in the summer, uh, rabbis and lay leaders and many others who came to Jerusalem to study Torah together. And from summer to summer, I saw, even though I broke my teeth to teach in English, um, you, can you say it in English to break the teeth? You can. Uh, you can break the teeth. Okay. In Hebrew, we, can, we say, That means that it's very, very hard to do it. I don't know. Maybe for English speakers, nothing is hard. So you we'll never, never uh, break your teeth. Okay, but I, I don't know. There is a, a, a sentence in Hebrew, a phrase in Hebrew, Lishborat So every summer, I, as, I do, as I'm right now doing, okay, I break my teeth to speak in English and to teach Tanakh. But I saw that from summer to summer, it really was so fruitful to me uh, to have a discussion and a discourse with those people who came from uh, the other side of the ocean and we, we are sitting together around the table and read the sources and uh, speaking about our tradition and our identity and our challenges and it was very important for me because uh, as I was teaching, I was learning for myself Tanakh and wrote my PhD and I saw suddenly, when I read the Tanakh over and over again, that even though I, I all the time read the Tanakh, but it always was so um, Israeli reading that Israel is the most important things in the Tanakh. And Israel was the things that the Israeli people uh, were dreaming about. But when we read the Tanakh, we see okay, we we as a nation, as people, uh, was born not in Israel, it's not our homeland, because we were born in Egypt, right? We we celebrate Pesach a few weeks ago, and that's what we were celebrating, that we it's it, it, our birthday as a nation, but it was in Egypt. And we got the Torah, as we will do in two weeks from now, right? Two weeks, one and a half. Something like this? I have to make yeah. the cheesecake, right? <laughs> uh, when I'll come back. So uh, we're we we, we receiving the Torah, not in Israel, but in the desert. So the Torah we got in the desert. And we were birthed in Egypt. And even though Ben-Gurion will uh, uh, write in the independent uh, declaration, Be'eret Israel kam ha'am it's beautiful sentence, but it's not historical sentence, right? It's to build a narrative, to say, I want to to say that uh, uh, the people of Israel, uh, Kamu in Israel, okay. And let's let's uh, let talk about this Kamu, this Lakum, because it's not birthday. Uh, that's what you mean. To rise up or to be established. Yeah. Yeah. Or, established. Yeah. yeah. Can say established. Uh, so that, that what I read, and I, I I kept read. Maybe we'll talk about it later about truth and the about the two options. That's the Bible that the Tanakh gives us one option to be the minorities in the diaspora, and to talk about identity. And that's Megillat Esther. And one option to be the majority in our homeland and to talk about identity. And that's Megillat Rut. But those two books are in our um, library, the Tanakh, and talking with each other. So when the years uh, passed and I met people from uh, North America and I read the Bible, I saw that it's much, much more complex and there are a symbiotic relationship between those two groups, and we are searching from, uh, f- f- for the same um, questions and answers. And it can be very, very good to have this discuss- discussion together. So maybe I came to this uh, relationship uh, late, but I'm, th- I'm there to ask the questions, and every time that I have the chance to meet people uh, that are not Israeli, it's very significant and meaningful for me. Mm. Thank
1: you.
4: So, thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. My much a pleasure. I feel very, very much at home. One one of the rabbis the other morning when we were about to teach he caught me singing to myself yeah. because uh, that's what my grandmother used to sing to me in yiddish before i went to sleep i was born in california i made Aliyah when i was six months old i was a very young zionist um and i grew up in israel but the two worlds i feel very close the the question of israel diaspora relationship for me is very personal and on my piano, I have uh, the notes of my grandmother's, my great aunt, her notes of Yiddish songs, and Mati Kaspi, and Ari Kainstein and Yoni Rechter. And um, with that relationship being so meaningful, I want to share two experiences. One just happened 10 minutes ago. I walked in from Mariv, um, in your beautiful little tefillah over here. And I was very moved by the services, and I felt very much at home. I have this thing of shuls, walking around and looking for, for shuls in different places. Every time I went into the army to reserve duty, you come to a different base. And you're lost the first day. You don't know where you are. Nobody wants to give you food or anything. I had this kind of tradition. I get to a new base. I, I look for the Beth Knesset. And I walk in, and I see books that I recognize, and I feel at home. And I felt so much at home. And it's wonderful to feel at home, away from home. I had the opposite experience in Manhattan on Shabbat. I walked into a shul. I actually wasn't thinking of going to shul, because I'm a rabbi away from home. This is my chance. (laughs) I can sleep in. But because I'm also Jewish, I had guilt feelings. So I wake up in the morning and there's this voice. You're a rabbi. You should go to shul. You're a rabbi. So at a certain point, I went to shul and I walk in and they're reading the wrong parsha. And you know me, the Israeli. I say, "Oh, Americans! I can't believe it. Re- they don't even know the right parsha. They're reading the wrong parsha." Now realizing that because of the second day of Yom Tov and Pesach were one parsha apart. And they were reading Parashat Emor. I was already in Parashat Bahar. But there was a strong, disturbing feeling that we're not on the same page. And I think I have a growing feeling over the past few years that in many issues we're not on the same page. And um, I'll, say, I'll say something from, where, from what I do today. What do you do when you're not on the same page? What do I do when I have Israeli friends um, that, like Rani said, aren't so interested in the relationship, or even um, all they'll do is read the Pew report and say, "Oh, assimilation—that's what happens." Okay, if we're not if we're not in Israel, and what do I do with my American friends who are either losing interest, or very angry, or fed up, or so? Uh, I'll just say one thing from my world now. Um, I really deal with couples a lot. And when you, when you were asking, what are we for each other? So I was thinking, there's this argument, who's the adult, who's the grown-up? Is this a, the young kid? Are you the grown-up, are we the grown-up? I want to say we're a couple, and we need couple therapy. And, um, and one of the interesting things about couple therapy, I'll, I'll say one thing in a word that many of you might be aware of. When I work with couples, I use a model called Imago, American from the 80s, Harville Hendricks. Um, I don't know, some of you might know it, but one of the nice things that he says is when you're having a conflict at home, he likes conflict. And he says that when we fight, it's usually a moment which can be very meaningful for our relationship because we probably chose somebody who has something that we're missing or that we're lacking or that we're searching for in our life. And when they bring that missing or touching, they're always rubbing a sore point. So when we're we're having those fights again and again, he says we should look at them. Sometimes we can avoid them, put them aside, we can hold hands, we could go to a movie, we can eat dinner, we can forget about what we were fighting about. But he says, no, I want you to talk about it. Because it's probably something very important that you're bringing to the table. And I feel that the growing, I would say, conflict or dispute or uneasiness between the Jewish population in Israel and in North America is an opportunity. I don't want to put it aside. I want to ask, what sore points are we rubbing? Um, and what questions should we be asking? What's What's underneath? harvel 100 did, didn't make that up, it's not new. In the Beit Midrash, when Abaye and Rava argue, you ask, wait, what are they thinking? Not what are they saying, what are they thinking? What's in the background? So I hope that's what we can we can try and get to with the different things that we're arguing about
1: thank you I can't help but think of a, a friend of mine who did imago for years with her husband, and she said, "If we can actually survive this these conflicts, it could be very redemptive you know <laughs> we just have to get to the get yeah um, so i. Rani, I want to come back to you with the first question. And we're going to take um, 15, 20 minutes for me to pose some questions. And then we'll open up for your questions. And you should feel free. Uh, we may just do it raising hands. We'll see how it goes. But if you, uh, Dalit is going to come around. She has cards. And if you want to write your questions down, you can make sure that way they'll at least get to me. We, we probably won't get to all of them. But but they'll at least get up to me. Um, I guess the first question I want to ask, and I'm asking this to you partly as a scholar of Zionism, um, I think we're all aware of some of the contemporary manifestations of these conflicts and of the ways in which we are not getting each other and, and maybe I, the divide is growing. Um, I'm wondering from your perspective to what extent that was sort of built in from the beginning and to what extent do you feel like something somewhere we sort of got off the track
3: it was very much built in from the beginning was negation of diaspora i mean that's the heart of zionism you can't understand israelis without that that's a, a very personal impulse you have a problem here, there, in France, in Sweden, I have, you know, uh, French, Jew... You know, everything Come to Israel. You know, that's the impulse. You don't ask, what well, do you live there? What's your heritage there? Uh, what sort of price would you pay for coming? That's... And it came with... And I think it's very understandable. In the early years of, of, of Zionism and of, Isra- of, of Israel, it was it was very much needed. I mean, Ben-Gurion said that out of ten people who came to Israel, to Eretz Israel, nine left. So unless there was a very provocative, I would say even violent negation of this existence in diaspora, and then of course came the Holocaust that unfortunately proved a lot of, 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 the, of the miseries and, and, and tragedies of, of diaspora. Um, so, so that was very much around I think what's happening today is something completely different, though. That vocabulary, that discourse, that the diaspora is uh, so bad. And first of all, it's very hard to say that while sitting like this. (laughs) I mean, each and every one of us who visits here as an Israeli uh, cannot cannot overlook that this is a successful community with a lot of, you know, playing out as yourself not denying you're not walking in the streets you're out there as jews in the larger american society and american jewish life is thriving also a lot of issues of course but you i mean it's i don't think it's there it's there so much something else happened and and that's probably part of the success story as well and that is that the hope of the early fathers and mothers, founding fathers and mothers of Zionism, did succeed. And that is, we have that total environment, which is Hebrew and economics and, and military, of course, with all the issues and social issues and and meeting of different Jewish groups, from the Mizrahi and the Ashkenazi. I mean, it's, it was very nice to say that we were one people, but we didn't have to live in the, in one home. Well, it was it was like. Um, Erussin uh, How would you say like uh, being? In, yeah, it was like being. I, for for me, the metaphor is like that. We Jews, we were engaged. Those from Casablanca, Morocco, and and Krakow and Yemen, we were engaged. There was a sense of a Jewish people for for sure. But with the birth of the state of Israel, we had to live in the same home. So that's taking place every day. And we know how much Israeli society is in a turmoil with that all the time. So we have, for the average Israeli, like me, I would say. I'm an average Israeli in many ways. Why would I think of you? It's not that I negate your existence. There is a certain indifference that stems not from negation, but simply from the fullness of that Israeli existence, which is beautiful, in a way. This is what we were hoping that would be. But then the challenge is, how do you keep that sense that there is... I mean, we we keep on saying, we're a Jewish state. But besides reiterating that over and over, or using it as a tool, as a political tool... How are we claimed by that? What does it mean? What 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 is the meaning of that of that relationship? I think this is where we are now. How would we put that relationship on the map of Israelis? Not of politicians, by the way. I'm not so much concerned about Netanyahu, Sharansky, all of that. I mean, they're they're important, but what's what are average people? You know, regular people are thinking. And in previous generations, we we were family, we were cousins. One brother went to Israel, the other one came to Ellis Island. And for the first generation, there was a connection, a bond, a family bond. And that diluted. And unless unless we work on it, it simply won't be. So in, in a way, it was embedded in the project from the beginning. Um, it comforts me a little bit. It comforts me a little bit that those crises are also coming out of, of success stories. Also your success, by the way. It's very hard for ourselves to explain your existence successfully while negating you and while saying, we're well, we Israelis, we're so great and, and muscular, by the way, as you see, Danny and myself. Are great <laughs> examples of the new Jew. Um, I even put a, a suit today, like a jacket. And a kippah, which I usually wear only in prayers, but here for the sake of this beautiful... So that was a long answer to your question.
1: No, no, no. Thank you. Yeah, I'm. I'm. When you describe these, you know, using the family metaphor, uh, I'm reminded of a conversation I had recently with a student. I've been to say something autobiographical for a minute. I've been uh, taking American teenagers to Israel in the summer. This this summer will be 40 years. I started doing it in 1978, and most summers, you know, trying somehow. So I was expressing to him and to this group of them just recently, you know, what do you think? Do you, do you, do you feel the sense of family connection? And, and he looked at me and he said, don't worry. I do feel a sense of family connection. I feel about Israel the way I feel about my uncle's second wife. <laughs> so, you
3: know, so. Very close bond. Yeah, yes. Right. It's like <laughs> makes you like work for him. Right. right?
1: Um, so, picking up on this, let me move to Donny, and um, you're the ole in this group, even though you was a, at a young age, and you were joking about that before, but um, I guess I'm interested in the old familiar question uh, for you to respond to. Um, how do you feel about Jews affirmatively choosing to live in the diaspora, whether in North America or elsewhere? Do you carry a sense that um, that Jews should be living in Israel, um, or certainly that Zionists should be living in Israel? How do you think about that question?
4: Can I answer a different question, or I have to? Yeah. <laughs> I...
1: It's Imago. Remember the Imago. it's okay.
4: (laughs) When I was 16, I came to America um, with um, the Fire Ministry of Israel on some delegation. When we were preparing, we heard a talk by Avram Infeld. I don't know if you've heard this talk. Um, Very, very special talk. And and he ended the talk by... um, imagining this five-legged table. And why five legs? He says, I want every Jew to own three legs. And then we can all have something in common. I don't know if I remember all five. One of them was Israel. One of them was Hebrew. Another one was Torah. Um, I don't remember the other two. But I'm, what? What? Those are my three. God. God. Oh, God. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry. Um, (laughs) God was definitely one of them. (laughs) I I just didn't want to mention that was. uh, And um, but I'm. um, You're reminding me of that talk now because I think um, there's a lot of components, very important components of what it means to be an active Jew. And to be an active Jew, if I'm talking about relationship, in a very serious, meaningful relationship, I think um, if you want to be part of that serious relationship, you have to own at least a few. For me, Israel is very important. And I think it brings in many of the components. It forces me to be active, very, very active in, in that conversation. I visited, um, I don't know if Michael and Joyce are still here, I visited my cousin Adam in Teaneck the other week. And his son, who was running for the, a run for the public school because Jews in Teaneck want to be very active, not just in Jewish issues. And in the afternoon, he had, um, choir course with Zamir, with his Jewish singing group, and they were going to a meeting at the shul. And I think of your question many times when I meet him. He's almost my age. He lives a very, very rich Jewish life. And one of the sad thoughts that I always have is if he came to Israel, I don't think he would lead such a rich Jewish life. Because um, the certain type of Jewish life they lead, Israel is not built to accommodate. And their kids grow up Jewishly in something very, very rich. My kids go to a good school. They, they speak Hebrew. They travel. At Israel. They do wonderful things. I'm not going to put them down to. But when I look at my cousin's kids, they're going through something very special. So it's definitely possible. It also is a challenge. I think a challenge that all of you experience much more than I do. To bring up a generation in America very active Jewishly is a big effort. It's a big effort. It takes a lot of, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of making the right choices, a lot of putting that as a priority in our life things that are sometimes easier in Israel, and there's other things that we're lacking. So I definitely think and realize that a rich Jewish life can be lived here, and I also think there are things that can happen here Jewishly that we're not built or we don't have the time to do. So therefore, I'm very happy with the relationship. Is that enough for the question? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Isn't it funny that I forgot memory? <laughs> <laughs> and there's no,
1: no God, exactly. covenant what? sort of. He's fudging. Okay, no God. No God. I was wrong. God. Sort of.
4: Covenant is God. Yeah. In Gimatria, covenant is God. God.
1: <laughs> it's it's interesting. It's uh, yeah yeah. all uh, right. I want to ask a question. Um, about peoplehood Um, going back to this question of really what we mean by Am Yisrael and want to ask how you think about what it means to build a sense of shared peoplehood actually between American and Israeli Jews and also within each when we're working with such different conceptions of what Judaism is?
2: Hard question, right? Maybe I'll start with a story. Um, One of my students came to me at the end of the semester last year. She was a great student. She was uh, learning, she, was, she read everything to the class, and she was talking, and she, she really was great. And she wrote an excellent paper at the end of the course. And when the semester uh, ends, she came to me and she said, I want to talk with you privately. And she came to my room, and she, she told me, you know, I came from Russia for the former Soviet Union when I was a child to Israel, and my father is Jew, my, mom, my mother is not, and I've never converted, and I'm not going to do it, because I feel Jew. I speak Hebrew, I'm here in Israel, I served in the army. Uh, I like this tradition, it's my tradition. I love the Chagim. I, I don't feel that I have to do something with the Rabbanot or with the halacha to feel r- really Jew. And she told me, uh, and I want to tell you that I met a guy, an Israeli guy, very Jewish, of course, and we live together without um, get married through the Rabbanot, of course, because I can't marry him and he can marry, marry me because I'm not a Jew, according to the Rabbanot, and I'm not going to convert. And they, okay, so she, want, she wanted to speak about it and we, will, we were sp- uh, speaking about it. And then, uh, three weeks ago, she had a baby boy. Yeah, that's a baby and a uh, boy. She had a baby and it's a boy. Okay? Um, And she came to my office again uh, last week. And she wanted to talk and to show me this little, beautiful, sweet uh, baby. And we were talking and I asked her, because we were very close, so I asked her, did you do Brit to this a sweet boy and she told me no I didn't do read because I'm not believing this procedure, I don't want to hurt him and he's a Jew he lives in Israel he speaks Hebrew he will serve the army I called him Nadav it's a very Israeli name I will teach him Tanakh uh, I, will, I, I will do Bar Mitzvah for him he's a Jew And that was very interesting, to think about the definitions of being a Jew. What is it to be a Jew? And I'm telling you that because sometimes I I think that maybe you can think that you have your um, challenges about being a Jew, and Israel, probably it's absolutely different. And I want to say, no, it's not different. We have very, very, very similar challenges about identity, in a postmodern society, when it's so important, the individual, so how, why does it matter the collective identity? And why to be unique? We, we want to be, you know, part of the world. And if we want to be unique, what makes us unique? Our, uh, bio- it's biological definition, it's family definition. It's by society. It's by beliefs, and I have a strong feeling that we all will have to sit together and to think about Judaism, because we we got Judaism from our grand 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 grandmothers and fathers, and it was very a uh, strong concept that really. Um, uh, Really um, the, uh, succeeded for two thousand years, but we have to think what can we uh, give to the uh, next generation and to the next next generation. And probably it won't be the same definitions that we have now. And I'm not telling I'm not saying it with you know. Um, Easy think, thinking. Oh, it's so easy. Let's open the definitions and think about it um, from the beginning. You're a Jew. You feel Jew. You're Jew. You feel Jew. You're Jew. Okay. Whoever feel, feels Jew, it's okay for me. I don't know. I want to think about it, and I want to tell you that in Israel there are a lot of people who are very very Jewish because their mother is Jew and their father is Jew, but there are no, there, there are nothing in their life that, that uh, makes them Jew except the biological element. Okay? So, I have a student that he has a mother and father who are Jewish, but he uh, has nothing to do with the tradition, and next to him is sitting my student that is not a Jew, but she is very, 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 very Jew. So, it's a hard question, and I don't want to let those questions without answers, and I don't want that who will answer these questions will be only, you know, rabbis and ultra-orthodox. I don't want. I don't ask to take responsibility and to say, we want to think about it, to think about the implications of the answer that we will give, and to think how those definitions can uh, be good enough for both of us. Uh, I will end with uh, really very little things. I I want to take you back to 597 BCE, some years ago. It was some years before the Churban Bet HaMikdash, the destruction of the Beta mikdash And it, it's a very important um, moment in our history because we had two centers. We had one center in Jerusalem, and we had king and a prophet. Irmiau was the prophet, Tzidkiyahu was the king, and there was a community in Jerusalem. And in, in, the, in the same year... There were a group in Bavel, Jewish people who came to Bavel, and they had a prophet, Yehozkel, and they had a king, Yehoiachin, and it was a moment in our history that we had two centers in Jerusalem and Bavel. By the way, by the way, Bavel it was in Tel Aviv, so we had two states already in 597, Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Uh, and what's amazing is that we have a conversation between those two groups. Because in Yechazkel, we heard that the people in Bavel said to Yechazkel, the people in Jerusalem are saying this and this and this. What do you say about it? And Irmiyao is telling to the people in Jerusalem, you know, the people in Bavel. I think that we should think this and this about them so i want us um, to read those sources and to say okay don't be afraid it already been to been in our history and we survived and maybe it, this discourse wasn't so good between them and that's what makes make many pro, made may, may, many problems and we should redempt this discourse and do it well now. We have another uh, opportunity uh, this year. And maybe we have two centers uh, in Boston or manhattan North America. Let's uh, say Boston, it like this. Boston okay. Boston, Boston, Boston. okay. Boston and Jerusalem. Sorry, Rani, you are in Jerusalem right now. Okay. And we can talk about it, and we should talk about it. And you have your own prophets, and we are we have, we have our own prophets. Prophets, it's uh, poetry and etc. Okay, it's not only people who are walking the street. And we are we have our own king, and you have your <laughs> own king. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not talk about it. <laughs> uh, and and we should we should talk. We should talk about our identity and the problems and the challenges and the opportunities that our life can bring to us. Mm. Wow. I'm,
1: ima- I'm imagining as a starting point our Beit Midrash and your Beit Midrash. You know, the students in both, uh, really, very exciting challenge. Ah... Um, uh, so Ronnie, I want to come back to you, and this is a question that takes us a little bit beyond I think, are we okay with uh, Should we open up so, How are you doing on? Do people have some questions percolating that you So take a couple minutes to write, and I'll ask at least one more question, and, and then we'll see if, we have, uh, if if we want to open things up. Um, This question takes us just a little bit beyond uh, simply, it's not simple, nothing is simple, but um, beyond our relationship as Israeli and diaspora Jews uh, to include your relationship as Israeli Jews with other non-Jewish citizens and residents of Israel. And I guess the way that I want to ask the question is um, to what extent or when do you feel that your we, your sense of anachno, um, is the Jewish people living inside and outside of Israel, and to what extent your we, or when is your we primarily the People living in Israel, the citizens of Israel, both Jewish and non-Jewish, and how do those sort of live with each other within you? The, if those are different we's for you, uh, well, it was okay. Uh, yeah. But
3: any of okay, I, w- I would say that more and more in my parents' generation, people people would define themselves from the majority of the of the population in Israel as Israelis. Okay. Jews were the religious and you. Um, Personally, more and more for me, the term is I I consider myself, and this is how I present, I I think of myself and present myself as an Israeli Jew. That means that that there are two affinities, two connections that are deeply important for me within that construction. One of them is that I have a relationship with Jews who are not Israelis. The other affinity is that I must have connection with Israelis that are not Jews. Now, how to have these two working together is a big thing. First of all, I mean, the challenge with this community is that we don't live together. The challenge with the other part is that we don't share a lot of the heritage, and of course there is the conflict okay, uh, around, uh, around and within. Um, I think it's a major challenge. I mean, Israel as a Jewish democratic state would not, at least me, I mean for me, would not hold without those two connections. Uh, and we have a responsibility. After 2,000 years... The revolution of Israel is not only that we have a state, and that is after 2,000 years, we are the majority and the sovereign over other people who are minority under our umbrella, under our our sovereignty. What does it mean Jewishly? What does it mean Jewishly? We don't even have the vocabulary. I can't go, I can't call an Arab Israeli a goy. I can't. Maybe you can't call your colleagues here a goy with all the connotations. But certainly the, that word that for my grandmother was the goim, and I understand where it came from, okay? It came from a certain history. I, we can't. So what are they? Hemger? That's also very bad because they're not gerim. They are indigenous. They are the natives of this land more than I am. So they're not gerim. So what's the word in, Engli- in, in English? In English, I don't have an issue. What's the word in Hebrew? It sounds like I'm tricking here some terminologies. No, language is so Im- How do I grasp them? Okay, so they are ezrachim. So they are the citizens of the state of Israel. And that's, that's a very important status. But I'm saying Jewishly-wise, how do we see that? I don't think that we even started to grapple with this issue and I want to give one more one more example two years ago I taught a class before Pesach somewhere in ah, it was in San Diego okay on behalf of Hartman it was nice San Diego sunny you know feels like uh, Israel somehow um, and so I spoke about uh, put your wrath you know pour your wrath on the goyim. From the Hagadah al Pesach. So first of all, it struck me that half of the people there didn't know that there is a sentence like that in the Haggadah because it was taken out by some liberal congregations. I can understand why. I'm not sure it's it's the right thing to do, but that's another question. What I tried to to explain to them, first of all, that most Israelis would say that sentence, okay, and that that transition between. Having military power and saying that and between not having military power and saying that sentence is dramatic. I want to say it very bluntly. Having an F-16 red button under your finger when you're saying, is completely different, with all the respect, than sitting in Brookline and saying that sentence, even if you, even if you say it here or not. That's a stunning difference. And we haven't even started to think about the meaning of those sentences in our tradition. I think Orit has referred to that. And, and this, I mean, it goes back also to the definitions to the, of who's a Jew and all of that. But particularly with all those issues of being the majority and, and the sovereigns and still having that, in that way, in, in that respect, I am negating the diaspora. We can't use the, 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 the vocabulary of diaspora straightforward as Israelis without seeing the, the, the Big Bang, the amazing revolution of uh, May 15th. You know, it's like the, there was a Big Bang. And that demands of us a lot of responsibility, Jewishly-wise also. Of course, democratically-wise. And, and it's a big, big, big challenge that we're trying at heart, but many many people are, are concerned about that because this is what we we the fact that we educate our kids and in a way they will in a moment they will be 18 and these are the sentences or part of the sentences not only of course there is also all kinds of sentences but all those sentences accumulate to a certain mindset that we have to think about that's a great challenge Shocked you? No. No. I'm, I'm I'm, by the way, I'm, it, I, it's a or, very I, I think very all of us like, and many of us we are also very inspired by this. Yeah. By this, it's a challenge that we we face. We have yes. to face it, and yeah. we have to work. And that's part of the reviving of Judaism, of revival of Jewish Israeli being. This is the meaning of being a Jew and an Israeli. Right. Taking these questions into serious account. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No. <laughs> it's <not. laughs>
1: I want to give people a chance to um, bring some other questions to the fore. I have some others here, but I want to hear your voices and uh, really what's on your mind as either in response to things that have been said here or, uh, or things that haven't yet come up. So... Mm. Okay. Luckily, my father was a doctor, so I can read any handwriting in the world. <laughs> um, so, Orit, this is a question for you, at least for starters, although it, it, it was prompted by something you said. Any of you can respond to it. Uh, you mentioned our king and your king. And then you said, but we won't talk about it. So the question is, why not? And (laughs) when do we talk about that? And how much are our differences reflections of our politics? (laughs) Yesher La'inyan.
2: Well, I thought that you don't want to talk about your king. (laughs) That's why I said it. If you want to talk about him, you can talk about him. Mm -hmm. It's okay. I want to say that sometimes I feel that it's very easy to go to the politics issues and that's how we all know what everyone should say and that's how we run away from the core question that I think that's the core question of identity. It's, it's very easy to say, okay, we have an enemy, you don't have an enemy, you, you are behaving badly. Okay, we can talk about it. It's, it's very important what the Israeli state is doing now, what the conditions, what can we do, what can't we do what do you you want us to do and should we talk together about what the Israeli state should do? But it's all about what is Ju- Judaism and I want to explain why. Because the Jewish state is it a state for all the Jewish in the world and that's the question, who is a Jew and who can say something about the Jewish state, or the Jewish state is a state for the people who lived, uh, lived there, and if you want to be part of the party, come. <laughs> there is plenty of room for you to live all around, and if you will come, we will want to hear what you have to say. And of course, the other question, do we need you and you need us who give to whom what right mm-hmm. so it's it's a it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an important uh, discussion but i don't think that it's the most important discussion mm-hmm. and i want to say another thing i think that I want to come to the discourse with you, to the discussion, with a lot of anava. Because I know that I hum- don't know everything— Sorry, let me just—humility. Tra- hum- yeah. Okay. yeah. Anava, it's a beautiful word, I think, that uh, we— We should teach. We, yeah. but Tikkunola, yeah, we, uh, yeah. yeah, we say—no, but it's not. No, I anava, i a—I'll an, expen- explain why. Because I want to come when you know that I know that I don't know everything about you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I can't tell you uh, what the right things to do. You need to know it, that I know it. That will give you bitachon, uh, confidence in the in the conversation between us. Because you know that I know that I don't know everything about you. But I want to come to the conversation when I know that you know that you don't know everything about Israel. you you, you never been there, I mean, for years, and I don't sure that um, you understand all the implication that your decisions about many things will cause, as for me, as a citizen in Israel. I, I didn't say that you don't know anything I say that you don't know everything. Okay, so even if we want to talk about uh, po- po- uh, politics, I just want to feel confidence that I know that that you know that I don't know everything about you, and I know that you don't know anything, everything about Israel. And let's start from here, and then and then we can really be very open and safe in our discussion.
4: Mm -hmm. I'll just relate to that shortly, Slicha. I want to talk about the things that we're not talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I'm gonna promote a book by a friend of mine, short promotion. Micha Goodman, who many of you know, wrote a book about the conflict called Cat 67. It's going to be translated into English now this summer. And he starts with talking about the things we don't talk about. And he says when we're having the discussion with the Palestinians, we're not discussing what's really what we're really supposed to discuss because we're discussing what's happening but not what, what we're thinking or feeling. And he says on their side, there's a lot of humility from hundreds of years, from their war against the Christians. And we're not relating to what they feel. We're trying to solve the problem, and they don't realize the fear on our side, and they're not relating to that. Until we talk about that, we're not. And another thing with things that we don't talk about, he talks about the conflict within us. I was saying before in in the other room that Israelis don't talk politics many times. If we want to remain friends, we're not going to talk politics. Why? Because it's a certain discussion that we move very quickly from what you said to who you are. Which, by the way, couples do all the time. When I, was, when I got married and we had a difficult few months in the beginning, just like some couples have, and I grew up in a family that my parents never fought. And I, was, I came to my mother one day after we had accumulated like 20 in our first two months, and I said, "Emma, what, you never fought? And she said, well, we had one big fight. I said, good, what about she said, you know in the bathroom how the toilet paper can be this way or that way? <laughs> now, after being married for two months, I knew what my father said and what my mother said. I knew he wanted it on the outside because it's much easier. And I knew she wanted it on the inside because it doesn't look nice if it's dangling down, right? But I knew that each one of them turned that into a character trait. And a whole a whole worldview and he probably thought that, um, she thought he's kind of, he doesn't care about how things look and is barbarian. And, and he probably thought, you know, every time I'm going to spend two seconds looking for where it is and I could have been working on my doctorate and she doesn't care about my academic <laughs> career. <laughs> and I, I want to take this, like, if I presented myself in the beginning of the evening, I said, hello, I'm Danny. I live in the Yeshuv It's over the Green Line. Um, I have six kids. I'm an orthodox rabbi. How many assumptions, automatic assumptions, from somebody on the other side of the political map, do you make, not about the facts that I just said, but who I am, what my worldview is, what I think about the Arabs, what, how liberal I am or not. And I think, like Orit was mentioning, a lot of these I'll say one more thing in short. Like, so many things are assumed. Rani was saying so beautifully, like, so many of my American friends were so offended by the Kotelish, rightfully so. You can't come to your homeland and not feel at home. It's ridiculous. Somebody comes and spends so much money and time and effort to come to do a bar mitzvah, and then he feels like he's being pushed away. It it makes people angry, but But the next step of saying, oh, this is what Israel feels about us, It's not an automatic step. Because even if I'm very disappointed with people in the government and with what happened with the agreement, that's not what Israel or not, not even official Israel, let alone most Israelis, are trying to say. They, they think of it differently. And they don't realize that they're hurting American or North American Jewry exactly in the, the spot where it hurts. And, and on the other side, I think if Natalie Portman criticizes something going on in Gaza, I don't think she knew. By the way, I appreciate her very much for many other things that she's done. I think specifically here she was wrong. But I don't think she, she knows how much that criticism touches on a very difficult issue of a democratic state at war for 70 years trying to do its best. I think in many cases succeeding and doing an amazing job and hearing criticism on that specific point from somebody who you're supposed to love us, we're mishpacha. And you can criticize, but how do you criticize? Do you put your hand on my shoulder? Do you whisper it in my ear? Is it on the front page of the paper? Those are all very critical questions. I said too much into a few issues of (laughs) Alem.
1: I'm so glad you brought that in, and um, maybe we'll use that as a segue. I want to bring in in the. We have about uh, ten minutes left. I a quarter. I, I was, is that right? So uh, we'll just bring in a couple more questions from the uh, from the cahal. One of which is really flows from what you're talking about. Um, here's the question. I'm sh- uh, I'm sure you're aware of the anti-Israel sentiment and attitudes and actions on U.S. college campuses? Are you involved at all with thinking of what can be done to improve the situation? Uh, just leave it at that, I mean, including sort of uh, student boards voting to support BDS, et cetera, is this, are you involved at all in thinking about that or um, if any, any of you want to respond to that? Want to? Pick it up, Ronnie, or? They're jumping to <laughs> respond
4: to that. I'm just gonna say I feel something unfair sometimes, yeah. that American college students are at the front of a war, they don't wanna fight. Mm-hmm. They need to protect something that they don't necessarily believe in, and they're representing a country which hopefully they feel very dearly for, but they have a problem with its policy at the moment. Um, I think we need to do a lot about that. Um, and I think a lot is being done in terms of uh, like Israel realizes it needs to send Shlichim to the Hillel campuses and be part. And in many Hillel campuses, we've done that because I think our policy can be explained in other ways, which are much better than I think. Um, I would hope young American Jews could be proud of a lot of things and be better able to stand up for them. But I think if they're fighting the war, war at the moment, and they are, mm-hmm. um, I think it's our obligation to, to bring the supplies mm-hmm. and to do the best we can. And um, I think Israel is realizing that much more. We have a lot more to do.
1: One more, which I think is probably for you, Rani. Um, You mentioned before Jewish Israelis who think of themselves as Israelis, but not as Jews. How do you think they relate to uh, the idea that we started with, Ko Yisrael, all Israel is responsible for each other? how, How do they understand that statement? Do they meet Yachez to an I think they don't. You think they don't? No?
3: Yeah. Um, but I, I would say that that's, a very, that's not a very large percentage of, of, of Israeli society. And mm-hmm. uh, The question is, does it really claim people, the notion that there are Jews around the world and we have some sort of responsibility, besides telling you to come home when you have an issue? I mean that's that's a derivative on that I would ask. I think for most of the people, for most Israeli Jews, um, there is no negation of. of, of I mean, I, I think all of you feel it when you're visiting. Israel became more Jewish. It's becoming more Jewish and even in a way more traditional, sometimes to a way that for some of us is hard to. But still, I. I Public sphere, music, culture is 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 Jewish in a way that it, it was it was never like that. Um, a lot of it, uh, I think, in a very positive way, is the influence of the Mizrahim, the Sephardim, into the center of Israeli culture. Um, that's the, I think that's a very important group in Israeli culture today. That has not we have not still found a bridge between the Mizrahim and American Jewry, which is very Ashkenazi, uh, gener- generally speaking. Um, and most Israelis are Mizrahim. Even those who are Ashkenazim, we are already Mizrachim. See what I mean? I mean, we are ori- in the Orient, deeply. And I think there is a bridge that should be built and can be built between this group which is very dominant now with the liturgical music, with with the heritage of Sephardic uh, um, culture and, and halakha and, and, all, and all kinds of things. So um, them moving to the center, or, or them, it's also, I'm half and half in a way, uh, this culture becoming a center of Israeli dominant culture, I think, brings a lot of good to the sense that there is a Jewish world. Because for the, for, for the Sfaradim, I think there is a supremacy of Jewish peoplehood even over Jewish religion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's, very, it's very interesting also in, in, in scholarly books that you read about their Zionism they didn't need to wait for Herzl in a way. There was something very obvious in a sense of Jewish peoplehood that was very there. Okay. They, were naturally, they said, we're naturally Zionists. <laughs> so that bridge should still be bridged between, that, between Mizrahi group and American Jews. I mm. think it's crucial. Right. It's a it's a very important move.
1: Really interesting and very largely unexplored. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Completely. So I think we need to wrap up. I if you have the energy to stay for a few minutes, there may be some other questions. But um, I want to thank you each and all of you so much. Uh, for, uh.
4: Um. And I'm just going to add my thanks. I'm Amy Klein. I'm on the board at Temple Emanuel and at the Shalom Hartman Institute, and it is my privilege to welcome you here and to welcome all of you here from Israel and from down the street. And we're so glad you're here tonight, and I want to welcome you to come back again on Sunday night, June 3rd, when Yossi Klein-Halevi will be here to launch his new book Letters to my Palestinian neighbor and he'll be in conversation with Aviva Klampis of CJP. So thank you again for being here tonight and come back again June third.
3: We would like to thank Sharon for guiding us through this discussion. Thank you very much, and thank you for having us.